Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Rebecca, played by Annie Heiss, is a notorious Hollywood actress holed up in a seaside hotel in the midst of a nervous breakdown. Her twin brother, Matthew, played by Aaron Costa-Ganis, is a lapsed lawyer and a failed family man whose new career as a writer is on the verge of a major breakthrough. They haven't seen each other in 15 years. Matthew travels to the City of Angels with his tell-all memoir in hand and a plan to make it big. All he needs is his reclusive twin's blessing. And that is the backstory behind this terrific uh, narrative film called First Love. And we're joined today by the writer and the director of the film, and that would be Michael Mazaroff. Michael, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you so much for having me. Happy thank to you. be here. Yeah, thank you for being here as well. Um, tell me the story. The, the story is uh, is such an intimate and um, uh, sort of probing sort of story about this relationship between these twins. Tell me where the story came from. Yeah, um, I have a twin sister, and... You know, one of the things is that, you know, people, people are like, oh, semi-autobiographical. I mean, it's neither of us are that character, but there's, I think what the, the main impetus for that relationship for me was is that I had been separated for, not because of a fight, but just because of life from my twin sister. And I felt like there was always a pull between us and um, the sort of like magic pull that we had, even if we weren't together. And I guess... For me, there weren't many things in my life, because I, wa- I knew I wanted to tell a personal story, and there weren't many things that like had that touch-off as that in my life as much as that. And I felt like it was this strange, special bond that I wanted to explore in, through cinema. Um, and that's sort of where the, the main thrust of the idea came from. And I understand that part of what you're saying about the you have a twin, and, and, and that this would be an inspiration and or a, such a big part of your life to use that as part of a dramatic device or dramatic platform to tell a story. I completely understand that. So uh, it, is, uh, it is one of those things that we're fascinated by twins. The world seems culturally, um, sociologically, anthropologically, Anthropologically, are always fascinated with the idea of twins, so uh, I, I I think it, it's a it's a vehicle that works well in the telling of a first love. So uh, so Michael, tell us a little bit about sort of the setting for the story and sort of what infuses what what really brings the the uh, the tension to the story of first love. Yeah. So the the story is basically this: the tw- the twin siblings have been separated. Um, after an incident sort of when they're younger and the sister basically becomes famous and moves to Los Angeles at a younger age. It's sort of like the Lindsay Lohan typical thing where she's, you know, pre-adolescent or adolescent, goes to Los Angeles, becomes famous, and the brother stays in New York, which this is all like kind of before the movie. But when the movie starts, the brother's gone to, has come to Los Angeles and basically has a, a manuscript in hand that is, a memoir of his twin famous twin sister's life to sell and his twin and basically what he needs to do is get his twin sister to agree to the memoir in order for him to to sell it and again obviously his twin sister has suffered a breakdown uh, again sort of 
I want to call it cliche, but the sort of classic, I mean, to become, unfortunately, a classic sort of breakdown of, like, young Hollywood people who, you know, succumb to some sort of paparazzi scandal and it sort of breaks their life apart. In this case, it's, you know, it's not that dramatic, but she's, she's basically holding herself up in a hotel room in Venice Beach, won't come out, won't talk to anybody, and, and basically the twin brother could be the only person that would be the key to, to unlocking her, her literally unlocking the door for her to get out of the hotel room. So it's sort of an interesting dichotomy of the brother needs something from the sister and the sister needs something from the brother, but neither of them know that they need each other, need each other when the movie starts. And there is this honesty as well as this sort of wall of cynicism between the two of them. Mm, and it's, yeah. it's sort of a force. That's a good but, way to put it, yeah. And so there, so for Rebecca... Who is, uh, who is very sharp-tongued? Who is, uh, because she's been in the place where she's been in her life, where she was, as you said, famous uh, early on in her life, and she she reflects a lot of these things that I, when I see somebody like a Lindsay Lohan or a Miley Cyrus, I I think t- that these are people that from almost their ability to understand their outside world or their what what's conscious uh, decision or right and wrong they've been told yes their entire life so for them these boundaries are very difficult to understand and appreciate so i think that's sort of built into rebecca's character the way she talks to other people the way she sort of interacts and matthew on the other hand is someone who is very cognizant of sort of boundaries and things around him and people's consideration and all the rest of it. So that part of the film, for me, is a very interesting mix. Is that is that appropriate for what totally, you were doing? Yeah, totally, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's literally how I describe it. And and not only that, but we see that in, like, the geography of, like, their... Um, the construction of their, of their worlds inside the movie uh, cinematically. Like, Rebecca's sort of locked in this hotel room and it's dark and she can't get out in Matthew... You know, it's still, it's, I think the movie altogether has a darker tone, but still Matthew's sort of free and roaming, even though this isn't even his town. Los Angeles isn't his town. He's a newbie here. He literally just got off the plane when the movie starts. But, yeah, there's a freedom to his movements. Um, so, yeah, I think that's totally right on. And also, just to back up about, you know, the celebrity of it all, um, I think one thing with this movie, I was, I want to call it a fascination with celebrities, but I've always felt like when people pick on celebrities, I always like, what is the other side of that? Like someone like a Lindsay Holland or Miles Cyrus or, you know, there has to be another side of them that is like, they're like dying inside, you know, like, and I was kind of curious to explore that. So that's what I, you know, what you brought up about the Rebecca character. I really felt like, how much have we seen that in movies? Like where the actual, you know, celebrity is shown who they, why they're like, they, why they're like, they, excuse me, why they are like, as they are, like, what, why do they put up that wall? I hope, I hope I succeeded doing that in the movie because it's sort of, opens that up to people just to understand sort of why they are what they are like. So I can't say that word well. <laughs> yeah, and just to follow on on that point, I, I agree with you. And I, and I think for celebrities, you name them, you, you know, there's so many examples of it, that because they've been told yes, no one has told them no since they were very young and really before they understood what, it, what that means in the consequences of their life, uh, they get to a point where yes isn't working anymore. 
being mm. allowed to do anything you want isn't working anymore. And I think at this point, these many of these people are forced to confront something they've never had to confront. And depending on how old they are and how mature they are, this could be a frightening thought that their whole world has been built on, on essentially a foundation of sand. And now they have to try and figure out how to navigate the world as most people do. And, Correct. and Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and that that's what comes across. And and what makes this film really work is the the acting in in the film. I just thought that Rebecca, as played by Annie Heiss, and also Matthew, played by Aaron Costaganis, are just really great at these roles. And I think it's both of them feel so comfortable in their role, so comfortable as actors in the role that I, I felt that that really added to it. There's a, there is just a palpable sense of uh, almost freewheeling in the way that they are their, their uh, performances unwind. But at the same time, this is a testament to you as a director who was able to sort of harness that into something that works so effectively. I'd really be curious as to your kind of process working with these two actors. Thanks for the compliment. I mean, you, you hit, again, hit the nail on the head. I, I, free willing is a great word. I, I am a fan of like sort of the old school Hollywood, you know, everyone's a fan of the seventies Hollywood, but I, I was looking at movies like the graduate or, or uh, midnight cowboy. And I know there was this sort of style of like cinema that was much more sort of character driven and, and actor driven and, I've always loved those movies growing up, and I was like, oh, let's try to make one, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I went to NYU grad film school, and one of my great teachers and mentors there was the, was the Oscar, Academy Award-winning actress Lee Grant, and also um, she won uh, Oscar, I mean, uh, Best Actress at Cannes one year. But And I think she was really, you know, instilled something in me about actors, which is like, let them let them do what they do. That's If they're good at it, they're let them run free kind of. And, uh, and I think, I mean, obviously I wrote the script and I directed them, but really I think Annie and Aaron brought, brought themselves to the roles. You know, I let them, I let them be free. I didn't, I didn't want to constrain them and say, Hey, this is, this is what this character is. And if you don't play it this way, then it's wrong. I was like, what do you, what do you guys want to do? How do you see these guys? When, when we first met, we just sat down and we talked about the characters. That's usually what I like to do when I started, when I, you know, when I cast the film is sit down with the actor for a while and just talk it over. And I think from there, you know, we decided who these two people were. And, and when we got on set, I think they both had a very good idea about it. So they didn't have to worry, am I doing this right? Because they've already built the character beforehand. And, uh, you know, it's just small adjustments here and there. But, but it was really, I just wanted, as you said, the, I think the key to this film going into it, I knew that, is, would be the performances. It's, an, it's a mood-driven, performance-driven, character-driven film. So for me, it's like, I need to, to nail that or else it won't work. So, and I think we did, and, and obviously with the director, but Annie and Aaron definitely were, were brought, brought themselves, and they're tremendous actors, and, and did a great job, so. Yeah. I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with um, Michael Mazaroff. He's the director and writer of the new film, First Love. It, it will be out, if it's not already out, on Amazon Prime. Where else can people see the film? Yeah, so it is out as of yesterday, uh, December 13th, on Amazon Prime Video, to rent and buy. Uh, just going back to the the performances and sort of the impact I think it has on the story that is, at times it's a dark story, but it it doesn't feel heavy. The relationship between Rebecca and Matthew are trying to work through. For me, I liked everyone in the film. 
I, I, li- I particularly was drawn to uh, the hotel worker, Amin El Gamal, and then the, was referred to as the Swedish woman who's having the affair with uh, Matthew, uh, uh, Malin Barr. I thought they were all, everybody brings a real personality. And uh, you're going, and you talked earlier about film directors in the 70s. I, th- I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Bob Rafelson, Robert Altman. These, mm, these people mm. let actors do what they are good at, which is infusing a character with with a personality, with motivation, and allowing them to be good at what they do. And I think that that's the key in your film, uh, First Love, is why not? You're paying them some money to go out and, <laughs> and, and, and do this. Uh, for for I know there's a lot of successful actors who are uh, directors who have been seen as you know you, you know pushing buttons and making sure that they hit their marks and that and you know do your job and let's you know, but I think that this is the style I'm drawn to as well. How uh, Ashby you were talking about Lee Grant, some of her best roles came about in that in that era of the 70s and Hal Ashby's uh, Shampoo and many other films where these are just you feel it on you can feel it as someone in the audience that these. These actors are having fun at what they do, even as serious as it might be. But you can see it in in the way that they they, they act in it. Is that yeah? I mean, absolutely. And you know, the Altmans of the world and the Ashbys. And I meant to men- I meant to mention him when I mentioned Lee Grant. But yeah, absolutely. Um, that's you know, it's they're dying unfortunately in in American cinema. But I I guess I'm hoping I'm hoping to bring it back. If there, I- <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, again, the film is First Love. We're speaking with the writer and director, uh, Michael uh, Mazaroff. By the way, for people who want to know more about the film, it's firstlovefeature.com, firstlovefeature.com, to go there and find out more about it, uh, information about the film, and, and how you, if, or, if you want, you can buy it, or you can go to see it at the Arena uh, Theater. Well, in, in terms of this is your first feature narrative film, tell me a little bit about the... Uh, you know, sort of the journey for you as a filmmaker and as a producer, you were part producer on the film as well. What, what is that like for, for someone who's trying to, for all those film school radio people who are interested in how, how this happens? What advice would you give or what was your experience? Yeah, I mean, my, I guess my main advice is just do it. I know that sounds cheesy and trite and the, the Nike logo, but yeah, I mean, I think the biggest challenge is yourself a lot of times. And um, believe me, I've thought about doing stuff forever and then never did it. And I think in this case, I just knew that I had to do it or else I was just going to fall apart. <laughs> so at some point you just realize uh, you just have to do it. So I, that would be my main advice. I know that sounds much harder than it is, but you know, I just had to keep pushing and pushing and it took a long time. I started writing the script in 2011, basically one of the other things I didn't really mention in the beginning is that I had moved from New York to Venice, and that was sort of another part of the movie I incorporated into, part of my life that I incorporated into the film. So I moved from to Venice, and I was living like near the beach, and I was like, oh, I should write a movie that's set in a hotel near the beach about twins, and that's sort of like <laughs> from there it just went, and you know, another year went by, and I was like, I better start doing this, I better raise money. I did the whole Kickstarter business when that was sort of a bigger thing i don't i feel like that's fading a little bit but and then raised a little money there did a a stage reading but it was just it was in steps i think like i said the key is to just keep going keep don't give i mean i know that all sounds trite but don't give up just keep pushing if you believe in in the thing you want to tell and i know that this story isn't you know it's not star wars so it's sort of like okay here's this intimate story of 
you know, twins. And but it's it's something I really believed in and a story I really cared about. And I knew that if I made it, there would be an audience for it. So, yeah. so just keep pushing. And and basically, for me, it was it was about just year after year, like making sure that I took steps to get it made. And then finally, you know, even myself, I'm a little bit like, I was like, wow, from from somewhere a Kickstarter campaign in 2014, 2015 literally five years, four years later, like the film is finally out in theaters and on Amazon Prime for, you know, millions of people to watch. So for me, I was just like, goal accomplished, even if it took five years or longer, you know, the, co- the goal is you make a movie and you get, you have, you have the opportunity for like millions of people to see it. And I've done that. So yeah, well, and, and even, to, if it, even if it feels daunting, I would say just, just keep at it. You know, there's no reason not to. So, right. And to your point, you, you say this sort of, sort of, it sounds a little trite to, to give out the advice that you've said okay, maybe, you know, people have heard this before. However, it's coming from somebody who did it. So for people listening, look, it's one thing for me, I've never made a movie, to say, oh, all you need to do is just go out and do it. But it's another coming from someone who actually spent the time and effort and assembled a cast, assembled a crew, got all of it done, and then had it had the someone stepped up and said, I want your film to be seen by by others and so you've you've done all of those things and so that's not that is great advice and i think that yeah key again is that it's it's a lot of hard work a lot of perseverance and it's a lot of um like believing in your work because i do think that there's sometimes in the film school culture there's a thing to be like oh i want to make money or i want to become famous and sort of like i think that because i knew that what this was i was able to sort of keep focused on it versus you know, I knew that it wasn't like a pie in the sky. Things are blowing up and how am I ever going to make this movie? You know, I was like, okay, I'm setting a movie in a hotel room, mostly in, in exterior day, daylight shots. You know, I was like, I thought about all of that when I was writing the script that I, to keep it simple so that when the, when the thing actually needed to be made, I wasn't like, Oh, I wasn't like, I wasn't going to be like, Oh shit, what have I got myself into? So, you know, when I got on set, I was just like, not even worried about it. I was like, I know exactly. I've been living with this movie for like three years. I know exactly what we need to do. So, um, right. yeah. Right. Yep. Well, I'll tell you what, just in my experience being around filmmakers, I think your first film is your passion project. It's the film mm. you have to make. I think you want to start making money on your second and third films. <laughs> so, I, yeah, man, I hope so. <laughs> I think that's probably where, where that mentality comes in. Okay, I did this. I know I can do this. I belong here. Now I need... I need to, you know, I need to make money here. <laughs> so, I need to pay the bills. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Michael Mazaroff, thank you so very, very much for spending some time with us here on Film School Radio. Uh, the the film is, again, First Love, and uh, the writer-director, as well as co-producer. Is it co-producer? Is that right to say? Yeah, yeah okay. a co-producer. My producer, Romel Foster-Owens, is, is really great, and after this call, she'll probably tell me to <laughs> go take a hike. But, um... <laughs> But yeah, uh, but it was just it was and, and just the crew in general. My DP Daga Malinska, I just want to do a shout out to her. Was hugely inf- influential on on the fin- uh, on the making of this movie, and it's a huge collaborative effort making, especially making an indie film. You just have to trust everyone and believe in everyone, and not you know it's because you, you can't do it on your own. So um, yeah, I am so glad you brought up the cinematography because I really did intend to talk about that. It is a beautiful looking film. Um, there's a yes, uh, absolutely. Thank you for for bringing that up because and, it, it's a great looking film. And also just the, the shout out to film schools. Everyone was like the AD, the producer, the D, the director of photography, me, almost, you know, all the, the, a lot of the key people on this film were all film school graduates. Yeah. 
Okay, well, fantastic. Well, Michael, congratulations. Congratulations on First Love. And uh, I look forward to more work from you. And hopefully sometime somewhere down the road, you'll, you'll come back and visit us again. I would love that. This is a great conversation. I really appreciate it, Mike. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.